You know, as we continue to think about remembering, there's a few other things that we need to remember here as a church body. Uh, first of all, that we have a lot of things going on in the life of our church. Uh, we need to continue to remember our student ministry as they're going to be doing a lot of different things in the coming weeks and months to come. A busy summer for, a summer for our student ministry. We have Dad Fest, which is on Father's Day. We're looking forward to having a guest speaker and preacher and leader, uh, Bob Russell, who is a good friend of mine. And also we're going to have a barbecue cooking contest and, and meat for all the, everybody. And there's going to be inflatables for kids and adults. It's going to be a blast. Uh, we may even have a car show, so really come, be coming out for that and, and, and bring a friend. We have cards and, and different things you can pick up in the lobby. Take those with you and invite a friend, invite a family member to Dad Fest. We will worship, and then we'll have a wonderful time out on the lawn, picnic on the lawn for the whole family. Um, but also we need to remember that soon Slate Run Elementary is moving in to our family life uh, building just behind us here and they'll be utilizing our space for school and we need to be praying for them as they get ready to come in July 27th. They're starting to run cable and things and we're excited about it. What a great opportunity for us to have uh, the entire elementary school, over 300 kids on our campus. So we're excited about that. Speaking about uh, remembering, my daughter Addie is probably the best at remembering I could guess because she has a memory like an elephant, okay? Like she remembers everything. This last week, she lost two of her front teeth, so she makes a particularly good whistling sound when she talks right now. And, uh, and it makes eating a little uh, interesting. But Addie, uh, she remembers one thing in particular every time she loses a tooth, and that is the, the tooth fairy. She remembers it religiously, and we're just going to come together as a safe place here at Graceland that no one is going to tell my daughter otherwise, okay, about the tooth fairy. Can we all, if you agree, would you say yes for me real quick? All right, good, good. I know you're all well-meaning people, but I just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. Well, Addie remembers the fact the tooth fairy is going to come with a little tooth that she puts under her pillow, and she is very, very, very confident in her memory. There's another group of people that are very confident in their memory, and that was the disciples. As we continue our preaching series called Rise Up, the disciples were told by Jesus that they were to stay in Jerusalem, the capital city, in Acts chapter 1, and they certainly do stay. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to Acts chapter 1? If you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can turn there to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, as I say every week, we'd love for you to take the Bible that's in front of you. You can turn there, you can open up, you can read along. And if maybe you don't believe that in this whole thing called Christianity or the Bible is true, hey, not everything you read is true, you think, anyways, right? So would you follow along and just see what God's Word has to say for your life? Acts chapter 1, verse 12, the disciples are there in Jerusalem. They're remembering what Jesus said, and we read about them here. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So last week we learned that Jesus had given them a mission, that he would leave earth, but his ministry on earth would continue. And it's a mission that no one else on, in history had ever attempted. They would attempt it. They must have been overwhelmed. The questions must have been a, a whirlwind in their mind to think of this mission that no one else had attempted, and they were meager individuals. And what they remember was in John chapter, um, in John chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus had told them, look, ask... And you shall receive, meaning pray. 
pray. And so what do they do? They pray. And what they learn as we continue to read is this, and this is really my first point, and that is that power comes when prayer prevails. That power comes when prayer prevails. And I want to ask three questions about prayer real quickly to you. The first question is, why pray to actually even begin with? Well, God had given them a mission. And the mission he had given was kind of an interesting uh, group of outlaws, if you will. First of all, it was a bunch of fishermen who weren't very educated. And, and then it was a crooked tax collector. And I have to be careful when I say that because I just uh, spoke with, she walked up to me in, in between our gatherings. And the lady said, you know what, I'm one of those crooked tax collectors. I'm an IRS agent, which I thought was kind of funny. And I said, well, you're not crooked. And she said, no. Well, then I said, you're good, all right? Anyways, Matthew was the crooked tax collector. And then you had um, all these other ones. And oh, by the way, women who had no rights in that day and age. So this was a group of ill-equipped, unprepared individuals for the, the greatest movement the world would ever see. Not exactly the all-star team. Ever been overwhelmed? Ever felt like that you had something to do and you couldn't do it because you didn't know how to do it or what to say? I'm, I'm in that camp. Um, you know what? Join the club. I'm president of that club, in fact. But I love what Oswald Smith says. He says, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. That's why we pray. Well, when do we pray? That's the second question. Well, it says here in Acts that they were constantly, look at it with me, constantly in prayer. And if we look at the original meaning there, it actually can be dumbed down to basically a, uh, an idea that they were constantly, persistently praying without ceasing. The idea was that it was a constant lifestyle kind of situation. And they learned this from watching the life of Jesus. Uh, before Jesus would make a decision, what would he do? He would pray. Before Jesus would face a situation that he needed help with, what would he do? He would pray. Before that he needed a miracle, before he'd feed the 5,000, what would he do? He would pray. And then the third question is, how would he pray? Well, he teaches the disciples and us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and that is the Lord's Prayer. Many of you have that committed to memory. And so this morning, we're just going to read that all out together from the screen, or maybe you'd like to just say it from memory. Let's just read it out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Continue. There you go. Very good. Very good. Now here, that Lord's Prayer can be really summarized in some principles walked through with you. Real quickly, I can give you an acronym called ACTS, which is interesting that we're in that book. But it's A-C-T-S, and that acronym kind of breaks down the Lord's Prayer. First of all, there's adoration. There's telling God who He is and what He is and how great He is. And then there is confession, and that is repenting of our sins and turning away from evil in our prayer. And then thanksgiving, meaning thanking God for what He's done done and the, the air in our lungs and the opportunities that we have. And then S stands for supplication, asking God what we need, when we need, that our Heavenly Father is willingly able and wants to hear what His children need. Power comes when prayer prevails. And we see this as we continue to read. In verses 15 through 26, I'll just kind of summarize it for us. Two things happen. First of all, Peter, he would speak up. And he says, look, all the Old Testament prophecy has now come to pass. It's being fulfilled. And now, interestingly enough, and he's kind of making a statement here, that Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament truth is God. 
God breathed and what is happening for them right there in that time. Is God breathed now? And he's kind of connecting the dots and he's saying, look, what's happening, guys, is going to be read for for ages to come. In fact, people in New Albany, Indiana, on Memorial Weekend in 2017 are going to read these words, are going to know what is going on. He's making that assumption. And then, secondly, they begin to replace the, the traitor, Judas. And, and they can't figure out who to pick. They've got two guys that, that they're looking at. And so they decide, you know, they're going to use human wisdom, and they can't figure it out. Then they ask God to intercede, and they throw lots. They throw dice, basically. And they ask God to intervene, and they pick the one individual, and that's how it happens. Now, I wouldn't—this isn't in the Bible for you to use this as a way to pick a girlfriend, okay? All right? Or this isn't in the Bible probably for you to pick a job, all right? But that's what they did and how they made a decision. Now, the table is set in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, as we continue. Read with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole earth where they were sitting. So we have the continued work of Jesus Christ. So he came, he lived, he died. Three days later, he would rise from the grave, he descend, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And his final act here is that he sends the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 continues. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and, and then they continue to talk about the different native tongues that they heard. Now here's what's so interesting here, if you can just give me a second. In Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11, you read the story of the, tow, tow, the, the Tower of Babel and how God would literally create different languages and it would divide the people in that time because of their pride and their arrogance thinking they could build a tower to the sky, which they can't do. God just wanted to prove a point there. Well, here's the deal. This list of languages and that list of languages is almost identical so what's incredible is, is how God scattered, now he is unifying. And how the Bible is one incredible story of God's redemptive love. Do you see that? Genesis all the way through the book of Acts. And for them to hear, these Galileans to, to be speaking in different um, tongues was quite, quite incredible for these people. I mean, after all, okay, these Galileans, they weren't educated. It was the equivalent of the Beverly Hillbilly speaking Portuguese and French and Russian. I mean, it would have been shocking to these individuals. And then in verse 12, continue to read with me, it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, well, what does this mean? All right, so let's set the stage real quick. So this is Pentecost. Pentecost was 50 days after the real big Jewish festival called Passover, and there was two different feasts that were put together to experience Pentecost. Pentecost, scholars think, over three million Hebrews would descend upon Jerusalem, the capital during this time, which is incredible to think about the fact that, that God had timed all this to have the most people internationally to be at this thing so that as Pentecost happens and we continue to read the Spirit of God comes, that, that it just spreads 
uh, all throughout the nations, which was perfectly God's time. And second of all, this is not just any feast, but a spiritual harvest is going to take place. And it's going to start an unbelievable worldwide phenomenon. And then we continue to read in verse 2, and it says, Suddenly, the Spirit of God would come and move supernaturally. And there's three different signs that we read about here in Acts chapter 2. The first sign was an audible sign. It was like a mighty wind, it says. It was like an F5 tornado moving in that place. The sound. The second sign was a visible sign, that there would be tongues the pillars of fire on their heads. You know, throughout Scripture, what we do is we read about the Spirit of God being like a fire. And we know that this, the God is a consuming fire. And throughout the Bible, we see this. We see in the Old Testament that the pillar of fire would guide Israel. And then we read about the, the chariot of fire of Elijah, that our God is a consuming fire. And what I love here is when you have wind and you have fire, what do you have? You have a wildfire. And what's so interesting, God is ready to set the world on fire with a movement that has never been seen before. It was so incredible. And then there was a verbal sign. And the verbal sign was they begin to hear these native dialects, these languages, as the literal, the English is translates right to the Greek, literal different dialects in play. Now, I just want to quickly stop here and pause. Okay, this Pentecostal experience that we just read about, because it's called Pentecostal because of the Pentecost experience, has been widely debated in churches throughout the age. And I want to quickly touch on this. And the question that people have debated upon is this. Is this experience repeatable for today? And there's three different camps. Okay, the first camp would say, yes, it's repeatable, and it should be repeated all the time. The second camp would say, partially repeatable, and that is the fact to say, the, the native tongues and the Spirit is not giving um, people the ability to speak in, in, in French and he, in Russian and all these other things, but it's a prayer language to God. And the third camp would say, absolutely not. This is not to be repeated. That was only specifically for the New Testament. And here's what I'm going to share about all of that and where we're going to land today. We're not going to let this divide our church. All right? We're going to be unified as a church. And here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit is a unifier. His Spirit comes and He brings unity. He doesn't break people apart because of some of these things. And thirdly, that tongues, regardless of where you are and what camp you're in, tongues is not a requirement for salvation. According to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9. According to the entire book of Romans, by the way, in all the New Testament, okay? That is a hill that I will die on, okay? So we will stay unified on these things. I'm not going to spend a lot more time on it, but I'm also going to say this, that I want God to be God, and I'm not God, and I can't explain all things, and I am open to whatever God wants to do, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it. And I just pray that we will be a church filled with, filled with the Spirit of God. And the, and the point here is not how the Spirit of God moves, okay, but it's what happens when the Spirit of God moves. Because there's a lot more attention given to what Peter does and what happens after that than this little section here. You have to, you know, one of the things about observation in the Bible is what is given the most attention? Well, what's given the most attention is what happens next, okay? So the question is, is there's a big whole thing about praying here. And we've got to ask the question here today, are we people of prayer? Are you having prayer pauses in your life? Do you pray in the morning? Do you pray in the 
afternoon? Do you pray in the evening? Are you constantly in prayer? Because power comes when prayer prevails in your life. Are you praying for your children? Are you praying for your friends? Are you praying for your neighborhood? Are we a praying church? Friends, power comes when we pray. God has moved in my life and in my family's life when I've prayed. Prevailing prayers constantly. God has answered my prayer in regarding to this church and constantly when I am praying and I'm on my knees. And when power comes like this, friends, when power comes, then what we see next is unbelievable. The second thing that I really want to look at here is how Peter would rise up in purpose. Not only does power come when prayer prevails, but, but Peter rises up in purpose. And here's how we know that. Look in verse 13. It says, some, however, made fun of them, He's, they're, they're, people are making fun of the people speaking in these different languages. They have had too much wine. That's their uh, agreement of the situation. And then verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Now here, Peter, this is the same Peter that ran out like a little scared fool um, just a few days earlier. Okay? But he stands up courageously in front of a lot more people than before. And maybe hear the words of Jesus when Jesus said, look, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. But at this moment, the Spirit of God gave him, had given him the mission, had given him the plan, had given him the power, and now it was up to Peter to rise up in purpose. And here's the thing. He's going to give you the plan. He's going to give you the purpose or the, the, the uh, power, but you've got to rise up in purpose. You've got to at some point say, you know what, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to step into what God has for me. And that, my friends, requires you and your gumption leaning into the purposes of God in your life. And that's exactly what Peter does. So let's continue to read here in verse 14. He says, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. He leans into the purpose of God right here, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to stay seated. I'm going to step into purpose, and I'm going to lean into this. What if Peter never would have said anything? What if he would have let fear have its day? What if he just would have stayed seated? You know what, history would completely be changed, and we may not even know about Peter, but he stood up. He continues. He says, listen carefully to what I say. Verse 15. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Basically, he's like, look, we just had our Cheerios. There was no beer in the Cheerios, okay? There was milk. They didn't have milk uh, like that, but maybe he said that. And then he continues. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now here, Peter is quoting Joel chapter 2. It's a big deal for the Jews to be quoting Joel chapter 2 because of the prophecy that is being fulfilled. Peter is connecting the dots for these people to help them understand what is going on. This is a big deal to the Jewish people. And then verse 21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and knowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold 
on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. He's quoting David because David was a big deal to the Jews. Verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And then he speaks to the to them again. He says, Israel, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we were all witnesses to it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then in verse 37, we have a... a a break here and it says when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles hey brothers what should we do now because they were they were understanding they were seeing they were cut to the quick about literally what Peter was saying and there's two quick observations about what it means to be cut to the heart first of all it meant this they knew that they were wrong about Jesus they had thought maybe he was a good man but that he was not a forgiver of sins and he was not the savior he was not the messiah and now they know he's probably the messiah and here's why there's no dead body of Jesus we're just a few days after the resurrection of Jesus and they still can't find the dead body of Jesus Christ anywhere CSI could not find him okay and now they're going what are we going to do and now they're realizing we were wrong about him and the other thing they realize is this that you know what if Peter's right and we're wrong look we have lost everything but if Peter's wrong and we're right well he hasn't lost much at all but they're in a different perspective. And I want to ask you today, whether you're in the balcony, you're here on the floor, you came with someone, or you came alone, maybe stepped foot in this door, never heard of this Jesus before. Let me ask you, are you wrong about Jesus? Hey, is Jesus not just a good man, but is he the son of God? Maybe you've gotten it wrong all these years, and maybe this morning you realize that he is more than just a man. The second thing we see about being cut to the heart here is that they realize that it was their fault, okay, that Jesus has been uh, killed and now he's resurrected. But here's the deal. It's not just on their shoulders. It's on our shoulders as well. It's on our shoulders in the balcony. It's on our shoulders on the floor. And here's why we know that. Because of these incredible words in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Putting the square emphasis on our shoulders, the reason why Jesus had to come and he had to die was for my sins, was for your sins, was because of my things in my life and departing from the design that God had from the very beginning of time for all of humanity. If I could summarize that large section of scripture and Peter's entire message down to one word, it would be this. It was the gospel. And the gospel is the greatest news the world could ever see. And I would like to help you understand it just a little bit better, better this morning. You see, as, as we understood that God's love for us extends to the point where we have a purpose, that he made you on purpose for a purpose, and that there is a, 
a design for every area of your life. There's a, there's a design by God for your sex life. There's a design for your family, for your neighborhood, for your community, for your work, for your girlfriends, for your boyfriend, for your friends, for your situations, for all the processes you're going through in life. There's a God's design. And we all have departed away from God's design. And the Bible calls the departing of God's design this one word. And we don't really like it too much. It's the word sin. And when sin came into the world, what with the evidence of that was this thing called brokenness. And brokenness, we all know brokenness because we've been affected by it. Brokenness is seen all the time in our life and everywhere. Uh, brokenness in our life and brokenness in someone else's life. We felt brokenness because of a relationship that went bad. We felt brokenness uh, because of an addiction we had in our life. We felt brokenness because we did something or someone else did something, and it hurt us deeply. And because there's brokenness in our life, what we've done is we've tried to go on these journeys in search of God's original design. We don't know it's God's original design, but we just are searching for purpose. And what we find at the end of that search is more questions. We cannot find really what our heart's biggest longing is for until we realize that what we're really searching for is a, is a, a healing to the brokenness. And Peter says there is healing to the brokenness. He's speaking to a group of people, thousands in fact, who are in the midst of brokenness and they realize that and they're like, what are we going to do? We're cut to the heart. What are we going to do? And what Peter does is he says this one word, and it's a word we don't like, and that's the word repent. We don't like that word. And the reason why we don't like that word is because it means to admit you're wrong. It means to admit that you did something wrong. And what you expect after admitting that you're wrong is you expect to slap on the hand or some kind of a consequence. It reminds me of this guy, a true story, a guy by the name of Charles Robertson. Charles Robinson, he went to a bank that was in his own neighborhood, a couple blocks away from his house, where he was living with his roommate, and he applied for a loan for a car. Well, while applying for the loan, he fills out all the information in the car loan, and he sees a stack of money in the corner, and he needs money. He thought, you know what, I'm going to rob this bank. So he leaves the car loan application on the table, already filled out. He goes and gets a gun in, his, in, in the vehicle he was in, and comes in with a burlap sack, and he says, hey, give me all the money, and put it in the burlap bag. And so the cashier does what he says, and he gives gets the money, takes the gun, and he walks out to the car about a block away, and he realizes something, that he had left the car loan application on the desk. And he's like, they're going to know who I am. So he goes back in with the money and the, and the gun. He gets the loan application. Thank you very much. And then he walks back out once again, and he gets to the car and realizes he left the keys inside the bank. So he takes it all back in, and then he realizes as he gets the keys that he can hear the police. And so he goes and goes to the restaurant next door to the bank, and there, there's one of those removable ceiling tiles. He puts the money in the keys up there and he departs all the way to his apartment complex where he's obviously sweating and scared out of his mind and he walks in his, his roommate's watching tv and the roommate says hey where's my car he says bro i got bad news your car it's probably been stolen i have no idea where your car is and so he goes and hides in his room. The police put things together. A little while later, they walk into the apartment because they trace the car back to the apartment, ask the roommate, hey, is this your car? Yeah, it was stolen. Do you know who stole it? I have no idea. And then finally, they see Robertson, and they can tell that he did wrong, and Robertson is put into handcuffs. And that's what we think is going to happen when we repent. But the thing about God is, is he says, you know what? When you repent, what you get back is my grace. 
And my grace says that you don't have to run anymore, even though you've robbed the bank, even though your life is full of brokenness, my friend. You, my friend, receive only grace. And the handcuffs that were on your life up until this point because of your sin have been completely released and broken free. Peter says that. Repent. Turn around. Do a 180 in your life. Acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner. And you know what? And acknowledge the fact that that Jesus and what happened to him and why he came to this earth is true. And we call that, my friends, the gospel. And when we repent and we turn to the gospel, this Jesus who came to earth, who died on a cross, he, he died on a cross for the penalty of all sins, my sin, your sin, for all the brokenness, and he stood up for all the people who could not be stood up for on their own, and then he, he, he raised from the dead, and that proves that he was who he says he is, and in faith, through grace, we can be uh, saved through his sacrifice. When we do that, what happens is, watch this, we then experience... God's design, the way he wanted it from the beginning. And we recover this. And then once we recover God's design for our life, then what begins to happen is we rise up in purpose and we begin to share this process with the world. And if you don't and haven't already put the dots together, that's exactly what Peter has just done. That he had gone through this process in his own life, had arrived at the gospel, and now he is sharing that exact same plan with the thousands there that day. And what they do after they hear Peter say, repent and be baptized, in verse 38, he says, Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to them that day, the, the launch of the church. And it was because the, the power of God had begun to move in Peter's life in an unbelievable way. Now, here's what I want to share with you. Two things. The first thing is this, that Peter stepped up and shared. And had he not shared, I believe that he would have been literally sinning. Not the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. See, there's things that we do all the time, friends, that are sins of commission, meaning that the things that we do that we shouldn't do. And we all know those, right? But the sins of omission are the things that we should do that we didn't do. Like the time we didn't do the dishes. <laughs> or, or like the time we didn't do that thing of laundry, or we didn't say this, or we didn't say that. In the same way, Peter would have sinned by omitting and not sharing and rising up in purpose in that moment to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people, but he does. It's kind of like this. You get out of here, you drive home, and you're walking in your neighborhood if you have sidewalks, and all of a sudden you see one of the houses on fire. And you see this house on fire, and you're like, oh my goodness. And you would stop because, you, you know, it would be a spectacle. And then all of a sudden, you see on the second floor of this house that there is somebody who is screaming for help. And you're not just going to be like, oh man, that stinks to be them. Just keep walking. No, you're going you're gonna to call 911. You're going to do what you can. You're going to see the need. Well, in the same way, what Peter does right there is he sees the need through his care and the, his heart breaking for the people around him, and he begins to share. He begins to share Christ. He begins to share the gospel, and he rises up in his purpose. Anyone ever see the, the show Hoarders on TV? 
These people, that they do these studies where these people stack all this stuff in their house and it, and it takes up their whole house. And in the same way, we've been hoarding the good and gra- good things of God, the grace of God. We've been bringing it all in, all these great things about God and what he has done for our life. We've been hoarding it. But you know what it's time to do? It's time to get that stuff out from around us and, and spread it. It's time to rise up in purpose and begin to share the purpose of God with other people. It's time not to be hoarders of the grace and mercy and wonderful might of God. It's time to stand up and rise up in power and be the church that that Peter and the apostles were demonstrating early on. What an incredible movement that would be. And just as that church did and, and saw happen, we can do as well as we look at verses uh, 42 through 47. And you can read that later on, but just for the sake of time, basically they become a church that is loving. They become a church that is learning. They become a church that is worshiping and giving. And they become a church, friends, that is adding to their numbers daily. Why? Because they rise up in power and purpose. And that's my prayer for us. My prayer is that you won't leave it to the paid holy man to do the job. My prayer is that every single one of us, if we're those of us who understand who Jesus Christ is, right, that they would step up and rise up in power. A, lot, a while ago, I was on a plane, and I was exhausted from my travels, and so I sat down, and I was just so exhausted that, you know what, I didn't want anyone to bother me. I put the headphones in, and I kind of put this look on my face like, don't mess with me, don't talk to me. You ever been there? Okay. I was there. And so I'm sitting there, my headphones in, and I'm listening to music, and I'm reading a book that I need to catch up on. I had a lot of work to do at the time before the plane, uh, we'd get off the plane. And so I'm sitting there, and the, God puts beside me the world's most talkative woman. No lie. And so she begins to talk to me while I'm listening to music. So I'm trying to be nice. So I take my earbud out of my ear and I look at her and I say, hello. And she goes, so what do you do? And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, how do I get out of this? Because once you share about what you do, people have all kinds of questions. They, you know, they're like, can you get married? And do you work? And all these things, like they don't know, you know. And so I said, uh, I'm in leadership development, you know, because I am, right? And, and so uh, they, she says, oh, that's interesting. And then I put the earbud book in my ear, and I continue to read and, and write, and I'm doing some stuff. And she taps me on the shoulder. Well, what, is, what does that mean? And the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart. He's like, share your story. Why are you doing what you do? So I began to share, and I squeezed, I took my message, which I, my, my story, and spread it out over four or five minutes long. And then she began to share her story and her doubts of uh, Christianity and Jesus. And we had this unbelievable discussion. At the end of the trip, she said, you know what? I'm going to go check out a church that talks about the Bible, just like you were talking about. And I'm going to read the Bible, Ray, because, you know, it's quite interesting. And I don't know where she is and, and, and what she's doing, but thank God that he put the world's most interesting woman next to me, okay, on the plane and is most talkative. But here's the deal. Here's why I say that. You may say, you know what, Ray? I can't do that. And I'm going to say that's perfect because that's exactly who God wants to use. He wants to use you when you're weak. He wants to use you when you don't know what to say. He wants to use you when you, my friend, are faking it until you make it. And here's why I say that, because that's exactly where Peter was. That's exactly where the apostles were, and that's exactly where we are today. There's nothing special about any of us, but it's who is special inside of us that makes all the difference in the world. Would we be a church that would rise up in our purpose, to the power of God as we ask him through prayer. I pray that's the case for us.